Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Yeah, the title of this series is Come Holy Spirit. And it's a prayer that the church has been praying for millennia in, in different places, different states. Bases in homes, around tables, in churches, in cathedrals, in fields. Christians, since the time of Jesus, have been praying a very simple prayer, come Holy Spirit. I want to talk about how dangerous a prayer that actually is. I want us to think about what it is to actually pray, come Holy Spirit. There are three easy words to speak, but what actually are we inviting God to do? Last week, we talked about the fact that when the Spirit comes and when you come to faith in Jesus, the Bible tells us that the Spirit fills you, He marks you, He resides in you, and He gifts you with spiritual gifts to be able to bless the kingdom to build the church, to bless others, to make a difference in this world. If you weren't here last week, I encourage you to listen to the podcast. Grab one of these. There's a QR code at the back where you can do the journey of exploring what your gifts are. But we talked about the fact that one of the things the Spirit does is He equips people to be able to serve Him with God-given gifts that are above and beyond your natural talents and abilities. And part of that scary and dangerous prayer, come Holy Spirit, it says to God, okay, well, I'm actually going to invite you to take me from the place of being a consumer of the things of faith to be a contributor to the things of faith. I spoke on this last week. When you move from being a consumer to a contributor, the thing that drops off in the middle is you stop being a critic because now you're actually involved in doing something. And when you get involved in doing something, suddenly you can't sit on the sidelines and criticise everyone else and what they're doing. So the invitation is find the gifts that God has given you and get involved. But when you pray the prayer, come Holy Spirit, you don't just move from being a consumer to a contributor. You move from a place of comfort to a place of adventure. If you really want to know what you're praying, what you're saying to God is, God, I want you to come and overwhelm me and take control of my life. You know what one of the, I think one of the strategies of the enemy of our souls is to keep you comfortable, apathetic and safe. Because that actually leads us to not wanting to do anything. But if you want to pray the prayer, come Holy Spirit, I'm actually trying to talk some of you out of wanting to pray it. No, I'm not. I'm telling you what it means when you do pray. If you want to pray, come Holy Spirit, what you're saying is, okay, God, I'm giving you permission to interrupt all that right now is comfortable for me and to use me in any way you see fit. That is a dangerous prayer because it's an invitation to move from comfort to adventure. It's also an invitation to move from being a spectator and getting in the game, right? It's a little, I wanna talk a little different from consumer to contributor. I wanna talk about getting in the game. What's it mean to get in the game? It's very easy to be a spectator. I've got a lot of kids playing sport and different types of sport and uh, what I've realised is after two or three weeks, you don't just become a spectator, you also become a commentator. My son Ben's played one and a half seasons of basketball and already I know more than the refs. Already I know more than the coach. And already I can tell everyone else what they should be doing on the court. I've never played a game of basketball in my life. Imagine me trying to kind of shimmy around the court. It wouldn't be a good sight. But the easiest thing in this world to have is an opinion. Ever noticed that? The easiest thing in this world to have is an opinion. We just live in an age where we've given people a forum to share their opinions and feel like they're more important than they actually are. 
called social media. If you want to know someone's opinion on something, just jump on social media. The easiest thing in the world to have is an opinion. But faith calls us to get off the sidelines and get on the field and start playing the game. Start being a participator. You know, I'm a really great commentator. I've got kids playing sport everywhere. My son Harrison plays cricket. I used to play cricket. And I just tell him, mate, just it doesn't matter how fast they are, just don't, don't back away. Face up. Actually, he's new to the game. I gave him some really different advice. This is what I said to Harrison. If you see the ball, hit the bludger. That's all I said. You're a strong boy. Hit the thing. Don't puddle it round. Just hit the thing. Make it go disappear in one of those cane fields at the back of your oval, mate. But you know what? I tell him, just face up. Don't worry about the fast bowlers. I forget that when I was 15 and I was playing cricket, man, I was so scared of that ball coming down that pitch at me. It's really easy to tell everyone else how to live the game, isn't it? It's much, much different when you get in it. Being on the park is so different. If we go to the early, uh, in the story of the early church, the book of Acts, it's a really well-known passage that speaks of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus has met with his disciples, said, I want you to wait. I'm about to go back to be with my father. I want you to wait in Jerusalem because I'm going to send the one that I promised. I'm going to send you my spirit. And when he comes, he's going to equip you and enable you to do all the things that I've called you to do. But for right now, in this moment, I want you to wait. And so the disciples wait. And then on the day of Pentecost, Pentecost was a festival that the early, uh, that the um, Israelites used to celebrate. And uh, they were there gathered on the day of Pentecost. And the Bible says this, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. See, this started to draw a crowd because people noticed the ruckus and something different was happening. You know, when we pray, come Holy Spirit, sometimes when the Spirit comes, something different happens. And something different was happening. This wasn't a usual activity. This wasn't a usual part of the day of Pentecost. But on this particular day, this group of people, overwhelmed with something, start to speak out in a whole bunch of different tongues. So much that the spectators looked in and said this. Acts 2 verse 13. It said that they laughed and said, these guys have had too much wine. These guys are drunk. Look at them carry on. They're just babbling on in a whole bunch of different stuff. You see, it's easy to be a spectator, isn't it? To sit on the sidelines and try and work out what's going on. It's easy to be critical. It's easy to be cynical. It's easy to be judgmental. So often when we want to commentate on someone else's experience of faith, we do it because of our own fear and insecurities. We get caught up in the manifestation of what's happening in someone's life when in reality, if we actually understood it, we'd see just what God was doing. Because while the spectators and the commentators decided that those that were involved were just drunk on wine and carrying on like crazy people, God was doing something deeper and much more powerful. Listen to what the Bible tells us was happening in that moment. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of them hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia. 
Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. There's a whole long list of nationalities there. And guess what? Every one of them heard the disciples declaring the wonders of God in their own language. So while one group looked on and said, look at these drunkards, another group listened as they heard Jesus being proclaimed in their own language. You see, sometimes we observe what God's doing in someone else and we judge it without a full understanding of how God is using that to glorify Jesus. I invite you to stop being a spectator and to get in the game. Because to pray, come Holy Spirit, is a dangerous prayer to pray. Because when God moves in your life, not everyone is going to understand what they see. On the day of Pentecost, it was tongues of fire that rested on people. Throughout church history, it's been people that have thrown in great careers and huge incomes. It's been people that have walked away from family and comfort to serve Jesus in different parts of the world. Sometimes when you pray, come Holy Spirit, and He actually answers that prayer, it forces you to start living a life that is very different from the one that you had written up for yourself. You see, come Holy Spirit is a really dangerous prayer. And sometimes when He answers that, people aren't gonna understand what they see. Yet I wanna say this, there's a pattern to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Been really clear on this from the start of this series that we don't pray, come Holy Spirit, just so we get a great experience and feel good about ourselves. When the Spirit comes, there's a pattern to what happens. Jesus is glorified. Jesus is always glorified. When the Spirit comes, the fruit of that is that the name of Jesus is lifted high. On the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit came, it freaked out a whole bunch of people, but there was a whole group of people that suddenly were hearing the message of Jesus in their own language. You see, this is the beauty and the power of God. It wasn't a crazy moment. It was just the sovereignty of God saying, well, these people need to hear, so how am I going to do it? I'm going to rest tongues of fire on these Galileans who've never learnt another language. Half of them were fishermen. They only knew the language of the sea, but God rests on them this supernatural capacity to declare the wonders of God and speak the message of Jesus in a language that others understood. You see, whenever the Spirit moves, Jesus is glorified. Whenever the Spirit moves, people start to repent of their sins. I'm going to talk about this next week, but come Holy Spirit, it's a dangerous prayer because when the Spirit actually comes, He wants to unpack some mess in your life that He wants you to deal with because it's messing you up and messing up those around you. See, one of the ministries of the Spirit is he points us to Jesus and he starts to show us the things that need to change and transform. It's a really dangerous prayer because when the Spirit comes, people repent. When the Spirit comes, lives are transformed. And when the Spirit comes, the kingdom advances. This happens everywhere we see that people are filled with God's Holy Spirit. It's really important to understand that because even though we get to experience the joy of God, the peace of God, the ministry of heaven, Whenever the Spirit comes, the kingdom moves forward. Yet not everyone understands it. There'll always be people standing on the sideline of your life wanting to give their opinion on what God is doing. How God's work is manifesting in your story. But I want to encourage you. Are you willing to pray a dangerous prayer? Come, Holy Spirit. Because if you pray it, He's going to invite you to get out of the stands and onto the field of being part of his missional activity 
on planet Earth. See, there's another little moment in that Acts 2 story that's really pivotal for us. The Bible tells us this, that as they gathered together, they were all filled with the Spirit. They were all filled with the Spirit. Don't miss this moment. So I've said in numerous weeks that throughout the Old Testament, we see when the Holy Spirit comes, it's on particular personal people at a particular time for a particular purpose. But Jesus promised that the Spirit was going to be poured out on all people. And in Acts chapter 2, we see his prophetic words become a reality. It says that the Spirit was poured out and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. I just want to ask the question for a few minutes this morning of what does it mean for us to be filled with the Spirit? And to do that, I just want to jump ahead a couple of chapters to Acts chapter 4 if you've got your Bible and you want to follow along. I'm not going to read it all. It's a long chapter, but let me just give you a little bit of a linking between Acts 2 and Acts 4. Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit is filled out. They speak, start speaking in foreign tongues. All of these people from different nations hear the message of Jesus proclaimed in a language that they understand. And it said that 3,000 were added to their number that day, were baptized and put their faith in Jesus. Man, I long for those days. The day that happens here, I will retire in that moment. Because I reckon it's like getting a holy one in golf. There's no other mountain to climb by that. So if you want to get rid of me, 3,000 in one day, it's a simple exit, okay? I just, how good would that be, that experience? But God moves. 3,000 come to faith. Acts 3, it says Peter and John, two of the disciples, are going to the temple as was their practice. And as they're going there, there's a man that's been lame for 40 years that sits at the gate of the temple. And everyone knew him because he just sat there. This was his form of income. As people came past, he asked them for money so he could buy food and look after himself. So he would have been a familiar character in their story. But on this particular day, Peter and John, now you've got to understand, filled with a different kind of power, walk past this guy and he says, you got some money for me? And Peter just filled with faith, says, I've got no money. I've got something way better than that. Takes his hand, says, stand up and walk. And a lame man walks. Crazy, isn't it? You know what? The Bible doesn't share this as a mythological story. It shares it as historical reality. Some people want to question it, but we're talking about the truth of what happened on those early days. And so this man walks and you could imagine if someone hasn't walked for 40 years, not in a day of medical science or any kind of brilliant medicine, but an absolute undeniable miracle of God that it's going to send some ruckus through the community. Now, you think that people would be happy for him, don't you? But you know what happens when God moves? Sometimes the systems and structures of power that like control get interrupted. And so the religious leaders look at it and go, well, that's a good thing for him, but there's something at work here that we've got to stamp out. So they go and find Peter and John and say, we hear all this stuff you've been saying, all this stuff you've been teaching, all these things you've been proclaiming. We've seen this miracle, but we've got to talk to you. It says that Peter and John actually get thrown in jail because they healed a man that was lame. Let me pick up the story in Acts 4. They had Peter and John brought before them. These are the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, it was called. And they began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Did you heal this man? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it's the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Peter continues, pick it up in verse 9, 13. 
And when they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since, they could not, they, but since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with him, there was nothing they could say. So these guys are in a quandary. There's something here we don't like and we don't understand and we can't control, but the fruit is undeniable, so what are we going to do? It says that they actually tell Peter and John just to go away for a bit so they can confer and come up with a strategy how to deal with this problem. They then pull Peter and John back in and they say this to them. They called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, what's right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let Peter and John go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who had been miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. They prayed. That was their response to the threats against them. And the scripture says this, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and again, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke the word of God boldly. You know, I reckon when we pray, come Holy Spirit, when we ask God to move, we get excited about the possibilities, don't we? I mean, read the book of Acts. It's a highlight reel of things that many of us as people of faith long to see happen in our time and in our generation. Acts 2, 3,000 respond to the gospel. Acts 3, the 40-year-old beggar walks. Acts 4, the prayer that they pray shakes the room. They're all filled with the Spirit. Acts 5, jail doors are flung open. Acts 9, the church's greatest antagonist, a man named Saul, is transformed in a moment to the apostle Paul. In Acts 9, we read of the resurrection of Tabitha. In Acts 19, we see that Paul's hankies are so just, there's something about Paul's hankies that people are getting healed if they just touch his hankies. In Acts 20, God brings back to life a man who fell asleep in a sermon. They won't need resurrecting this morning. See, we read all these stories, you read through the book of Acts and it's a highlight reel of what happens when people filled with, the God's, with God's Spirit, when, when they pray that dangerous prayer of come Holy Spirit, see it answered. There's signs, there's wonders, there's healings, there's miracles, there's resurrection. It says the community was such a place that there was no one that was poor or hungry or needy amongst them. People sold their belongings, their properties so that the ministry of the kingdom could move forward. What an incredible time. See, I wanna pray that come Holy Spirit prayer. Anyone else with me? Come Holy Spirit, let us see all of that. You know, I told you it was a dangerous prayer and why is it a dangerous prayer? Because as the move of God increased in its momentum, so did the opposition. I left out some really important moments in the story. Because as they prayed, come Holy Spirit, and the Spirit filled them and moved amongst them, and all of these incredible things happened, guess what? So did the opposition increase. In Acts 4, as the prayer meeting shakes the room, Peter and John and the early church are threatened. It begins a story of regular imprisonment and incarceration. In Acts 5, we hear of how 
The disciples are whipped and flogged. In Acts 6, a man named Stephen who faithfully and filled with the Spirit is asked to go and wait on tables. He's falsely accused of something that he did not do and he's stoned. His life is taken because of it. In Acts 8, we read of an organised assault against the church. In Acts 12, James is put to death by the sword. In Acts 14, Paul's dragged outside the city, beaten so badly that everyone thought he was dead. In Acts 16, we hear of them being stripped naked and beaten with rods. You see, it's a dangerous prayer because when the Holy Spirit comes and as God's Spirit moves and good things happen, the opposition follows it. History tells us that every one of the disciples bar one was killed in a gruesome way. Got to read history to hear of the persecution of the early church under people like the Emperor Nero. Like as God moves, so opposition increases. As God does his most powerful and miraculous work, the enemy does some of his messiest. Yet the church advances. And it's why being filled with the Spirit matters. Because when you're filled with the Spirit, you know, it allows you to persevere in the midst of persecution. Being filled with the Spirit gave the early church, the early disciples, the power to persevere in the midst of persecution. Time and time again, the book of Acts tells us what that looked like. Let me read you a couple of verses. They're not on the screen, I apologize. But Acts 8 verse 1 says this, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered. Imagine living in a time where this church got disbanded because of the persecution we were experiencing from the outside. That's what was happening in the early days of the church. Severe persecution scattered the church. But Acts 8 verse 4 says this, But those who were scattered preached the word wherever they went. You see, when you're filled with the Spirit, you've got perseverance and resilience that allows you to stand up in the face of great persecution and opposition. Acts 5 verse 40, they called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. I mean, I've copped some good emails over the years for the sermons that I've preached, but nobody's ever gone to the you know, length of beating me for declaring the good news of Jesus. I'm not asking for it, just want to say that. <laughs> Although some days a couple of punches would be better than having to reply to some emails. But I've never been flogged for the sake of Jesus, but it says here the apostles were flogged in order not to speak again in the name of Jesus. That's Acts 5.40. Acts 5.41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. See, when the Spirit of God fills you, He gives you a perseverance, a resilience to confront and face the opposition that will come. Acts 14, verse 19, they stoned Paul and dragged him outside of the city thinking he was dead. Acts 14, 20, but after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. When God is at work, something starts to build in his people that starts to see opposition and persecution and things that come against it, not as a mark of let's shy away and hide away and stop, but as a sign that God is doing something and the enemy doesn't like it. I just want to tell you, church, if you really want to pray that prayer, come Holy Spirit. 
If the Spirit comes, I can't promise you that it's going to get easier for you. But as the Spirit comes and He fills you, He's going to grow your muscles. He's going to grow your resolve. He's going to grow your resilience. He's going to help you get down every time, uh, get up every time you get knocked down. He's going to give you a new faith to confront some of the things. As I was preparing this week, I just had a real sense that there's some of us here right now that are walking through significant persecution and opposition. Maybe not persecution might feel like too strong a word, but right now it's just really tough. And you can't put it down to anything in the natural. You look at it and go, it doesn't necessarily make sense. Maybe it's because you're praying a really dangerous prayer, come Holy Spirit. But as the opposition comes, I reckon God by His Spirit wants to fill you so that the resilience grows and the resolve grows. And as Paul's dragged out of the city and left for dead at the gates, when he gets up, he doesn't think, well, let's see if we can go a different way. Just gets up and shakes himself off and says, well, if that's the way it's going to be, bring it on. And marches right back in. God doesn't want his church to be afraid of the mess and the brokenness that we're going to have to confront when we walk out and march out and face it in the world. He wants a church that's filled with his spirit, with a resilience that when it gets beaten down, just stands up, shakes it off and says, well, if this is how it's going to be, bring it. You up for it? You're willing to get out of the stands and onto the field? I said to you at the start, it's a dangerous prayer because if you pray it and God answers it, life might just look very different than what it does right now. But when we're filled with the Spirit, it gives us a perseverance in the midst of our persecution. When we're filled with the Spirit, He's going to transform your ordinary to His extraordinary. This is my favourite verse in the Scripture. Acts 4.13. Standing before the Sanhedrin, Peter and John, are declaring the wonders of Jesus. They've just prayed for a man that's been lame for 40 years and is now working. And this is what it said was observed of them. Acts 4.13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realised that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I know we all love a good Greek word study, but the word for ordinary in the Greek is the word idiotus. I don't want to dig any further into that because I feel like I'm going to get the wind taken out of my balloon. I just want to believe that it means what it is. And here's my message point. God can do extraordinary things through a bunch of idiots. It's good news for me. Don't write that one down. Please don't tweet that one. Just, you know, I'll get in trouble when I meet with the other campus pastors this week. But the Greek word for ordinary is idiotis, which just, it, it literally means that. It means ordinary, unschooled, nothing special. Here's the thing, right? We, we live in a culture that says, if you want to be something, you've got to be extraordinary. But you know what Jesus says? I don't need extraordinary people. I just need ordinary people. I need just the ordinary folk that are available. I don't need the extraordinary folk because I don't need their skills. Doesn't matter how extraordinary they are. They can't make lame people walk. There is no one extraordinary enough on planet earth through their own power can make a lame person walk unless it's a medical issue and God has gifted them in the medical field to actually help treat the problem. God just wants ordinary people and he wants to help you do extraordinary things. But you know what the thing is that helps an ordinary person do an extraordinary thing is they get filled with the Spirit. 
You see, as people saw the work of the Spirit, they started asking the disciples, tell us, how do we get this? How do we get this? Because there's something in the human heart that says, I like the idea of doing some extraordinary stuff. But literally to be filled with the Spirit means this, to be emptied of everything else and to be filled with something brand new. In other words, your... uh, your arrogance, your pride, your desire for significance, all of that stuff gets emptied. And to be filled with the Spirit means you're now surrendering your life and your purposes to the things of God and letting Him overwhelm you. The Bible talks about being baptised in the Holy Spirit. To be baptised just means to be immersed, to be overwhelmed. So when we pray, come Holy Spirit and fill us, what we're saying is, God, we're happy for you to get rid of all the other stuff that's filling our time, our attention, our heart, our focus, our priorities, and to start to fill it with your heart and priorities. And when you do that, when God's Spirit fills you, when you become overwhelmed and immersed fully in the things of God, He will take your ordinary and do extraordinary things with them. The secret to the extraordinary in the kingdom of God is to be filled with the Spirit. I encourage some of you, made this encouragement last week, but some of us just think, I've got nothing to offer. If that's the narrative in your head, I want to give you good news. You are the prime candidate for all that God has to give. What he doesn't need from you is to get more skilled at the stuff that's not who you are, even though sometimes we have to put in some work, but he doesn't need you to become an extraordinary person so he can use you. He just needs you to be an available person. So if you feel ordinary... Will you too pray that dangerous prayer, come Holy Spirit? Because if he does, he might just transform your ordinary to the extraordinary. And finally, and I want to say this, when we're filled with the Spirit, God helps us find courage over fear. Sanhedrin called him, Peter and John again, commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, what is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And after further threats, they let them go. You know, it's really easy to be bold, isn't it? When everyone's on your side. Like it's the first, about second year that I was in Queensland, I went to my first state of origin match at Lang Park as a Blues supporter in the old day where the bleachers were there. I was all cocky and confident till I got into that God-forsaken place <laughs> with all the heathen maroon folk throwing oranges at me and water bottles at me and words that I hadn't heard in Dubbo growing up at me. See, it's really easy to be bold when you're in like a majority. It's harder when you're in a minority. I've shared this story with some of you before, but I remember as a a 15-year-old teenager going to a Christian music festival that was held at a place called Australia's Wonderland in Sydney. It's an old theme park in Sydney. And back in the days where, you know, we had a weekend of music with the Newsboys and DC Talk and White Heart. And some of you are like, never heard of these bands. They were big Christian bands in the day. And uh, anyway, we were there. And uh, a young person, like, suddenly I've got 5,000 other Christian young people around me. Like, this is the easiest place to show my true colours. I went to the merchandise stand and I bought myself a shirt because I was ready to just kind of proclaim to the world that I'm a believer in Jesus. And it was, a, it was a photo, it was a, not a photo, there was no photos of Jesus on the cross. It was an artistic depiction of Jesus on the cross, right? Muscles bursting, crown of thorns, blood streaming down his forehead. And it had across the beam of the cross, the sin of the world. And then it had the tagline, bench press this. And on the back in bold letters, his pain, your gain. Oh man, I was proud of that shirt. I got back to Dubbo. 
I thought, I don't know if I really want to wear that shirt anymore. That was pretty easy at Easterfest. Wonderfest it was called, not Easterfest, Wonderfest. It's just very easy to have courage when you're surrounded by the majority. It's a different thing to find courage in the face of a hostile world that's not going to understand, that may not understand what happens in your life when you pray, come Holy Spirit. But a world that desperately needs God's love and grace. You know, in the face of great opposition, what did the church do? It prayed. See, we live in a world with increasing opposition. Let me get the band to come join me. We live in a world of increasing opposition and sometimes a world that's incredulous to our faith and the message of our faith. But in the face of great opposition, what did the church do? Did it hide away? Did it say, yes, sir, we won't speak of this name again? Did it give up? Did it put its light that's shining on a hill under a vase? No, the church got together and they prayed. They prayed this prayer. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. See, something happens when God's spirit moves that we stop praying prayers about what God can do for me and we start praying prayers that acknowledge what God's already done for us. In your prayer life, I encourage you. It's been a little discipline of mine. And look, I'll be really honest about my sometimes, you know, what prayer looks like in my life. It can be all over the shop in terms of the when, where and how. But the one thing that's remained consistent in my prayer life over the last couple of years is this. Whenever I pray, I start with gratitude. Because when you come to God with a long list of your needs, and you start spending time telling him about all the things that he's done for you and all the things that you love about him and all the ways he's been generous, suddenly the list diminishes significantly. See, when the early church gets together in the face of great opposition, what do they do? God, please, please stop them hurting us. God, please, could could they find a generosity in their hearts towards us? God, could we just meet? Could they just leave us? They don't pray that. They just start off with sovereign God, you made everything. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against His anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Then listen to this prayer. Now, Lord, consider their threats. Okay, Lord, we just want you to be aware of what's been said, what's been threatened. We just want you to be aware of what we're confronting right now. But in the midst of that, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Their prayer moved from what can God do for me to what God has done for me and what can God do through me. As we end 21 days of prayer as a church, I want us to pray some of those prayers. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, it's a dangerous prayer. God, we're gonna need Your Spirit to fill us so that we can confront the things that come against us. Give us persistence and perseverance and patience in the midst of great persecution, Lord. God, we need You to fill us with Your Spirit. 
because we're just a bunch of ordinary people, but here we are willing and available. God, if You would, by Your grace, we are willing for You to do extraordinary things through us. And come Holy Spirit, give us courage. Give us boldness. Consider their threats, but give us boldness, courage to speak Your Name and advance Your Kingdom. And as they prayed that prayer, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God boldly. Come Holy Spirit. What a dangerous prayer to pray. What a dangerous prayer to pray. Because if He answers that prayer in your life, things may never look the same again. Don't worry about what God's doing anyone else. Get out of the stands and get onto the field and allow Him to do something in you so He can do something through you. Can we stand this morning, church? Invite our prayer team to come forward. Uh, If you are new here or even if you're regular here, it's so awesome. We've uh, got a great team that's come together that are just gonna be available every Sunday to pray with you and to pray for you regardless of the invitation on any given week, whatever your need. You might just have something going on, you're like, I just, I just need someone to pray with me, but that's not what Andrew said the prayer was for. No, it doesn't matter. Whatever you need, any given week, you can come and receive prayer. But this morning, I wanna invite you to something very specific. The Bible says that people were filled with the Spirit. As they were filled with the Spirit, they got new resilience, new courage, that ordinary was transformed to extraordinary. I just wonder whether you're willing to pray that dangerous prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, fill me. I want to be filled with your Spirit. I want to be overwhelmed and immersed in the things of God. I want to say thanks for all that you've done for me, but I just now want to invite you, God, to do something great through me. I wonder if you're willing just to pray that really dangerous prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, fill me, I pray. And we'd love to pray for you this morning as we do that. I, I, as I said, I was preparing this week. I said a sense that some of us are walking through some great opposition at the moment that doesn't make sense. And that God wants to fill you with His Spirit so that you have greater resilience to fight. Like Paul got dragged out of the city and dumped at the gate looking like he was dead. When they picked him up, Paul said, well, if that's how it's going to be, bring it on. God, I I think there's some of us this morning that God just wants to give a a, a new resilience. He wants to fill us so that we can face that that confronts us and be up for the fight. If that's you, I'd like to invite you forward as well. But if your heart prayer this morning is just, God, here I am, I'm available. Come, Holy Spirit, fill me. Let's pray for you this morning. And as we do that, let's sing. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and everybody who walks through our doors is welcome. If you'd like to connect with us, please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au to find out more.